Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hey, uh, in 1776, when the Continental Congress drafted uh, the Declaration of Independence, the framers put into words this well-known statement. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Now, of course, we would all agree that in the United States, the pursuit of happiness is a right. But more and more, it's not just the pursuit of happiness that we think is a right. No, it's actually being happy. See, more and more, we as Americans think that being happy is our right. It's what we're owed. It's what we deserve. Now, if that's true, and I think it is, then it begs the question, what exactly does it mean to be happy? What does it mean to be happy? That's, that's the, the answer to the question that, that we're all asking. Turns out a few years ago, college students at Yale were asking the same question. Spring 2018, Professor Lori Santos decides to offer a course for the very first time. It's called Psychology and the Good Life. Now, when registration for this course opens, a lot of people signed up, 300 students, in fact. Pretty good class. Except a few days later, that number doubled. 600 were signed up. A few more days go by, and, and more people sign up. Eventually, that number doubled, and 1,200 students at Yale had signed up for this course. It was 25, nearly 25% of Yale's undergrad population. The class got so big that, that they had to convert a chapel into a lecture hall. They had to live stream the class to, to several auditoriums throughout campus. Eventually, they converted an event space used for things like symphonies into a lecture hall just to fit everybody into one room. You see, this course, Psychology in the Good Life, it became the most popular course in Yale history. All those Ivy League students were there for one thing, to learn one thing, how to have a happier, more satisfying life. Now that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, after all, this is an Ivy League school. Some of the, uh, relatively speaking at least, the smartest, the, the w most uh, well-connected, wealthiest, successful college students in the United States, certainly, and maybe even the world. Surely of all people, these would be people who would say they're happy, people who would say they have the good life, people who would say that they're, they're satisfied with, with their life and where their life is headed. Well, then why are they all there to take something that they already have? Why are they all there to take something that they already have? Here's what the professor said. She said they're here because our intuitions about what will make us happy she goes on to give some examples. Our 
totally wrong. That's what the Yale professor said. Our intuitions about what will make us happy are totally wrong. What we think will make us happy, at least according to a Yale professor, those things don't really make us happy at all, at least not with any lasting significance. Our intuitions are wrong. Now, of course, Lori Santos isn't the only person to say such a statement. In fact, Jesus would agree. The reason that I'm sharing all of this is, is because tonight we're kicking off a new Tuesday night series. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at sin and, and the dysfunction that sin brings into our lives, brings into our relationships with God, to our, ourselves, to our relationships with, with other people. Tonight, though, maybe you've seen we're switching gears by taking a look at a handful of verses in the Gospel of Matthew called the Beatitudes. Now, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Beatitude is not actually a word that you'll find in any verse in your Bible. Instead, it's a, it's a heading, it's a title of, of a particular section of Matthew's Gospel. And it comes from a Latin word, this word beatitude. It comes from a Latin word that means blessing. Which, if you're familiar with the Beatitudes at all, you know makes sense because each of the so-called Beatitudes, the next several verses that we'll see, each begins with a different word. It's a Greek word, but, but it means we translate it as blessed. You could also translate it happy or, or, or fortunate, not necessarily in a, in a temporal sense, but, but a lasting kind of happiness, a lasting kind of good fortune. So, so the verses essentially say, blessed are, happy are, fortunate are. That's what Jesus says. But before we get into specifically what Jesus says, what would we say? How would you fill in that blank? Blessed are. What would our culture say? Who would our culture say is blessed? Who would our culture say is happy? Who would our culture say is fortunate? As of this morning, at least, on Instagram, if you search the hashtag blessed, uh, you would see over 132 million posts. Pictures of beautiful people. Fancy cars, new marriages, new babies, engagements, vacations, money, and status, and experience. See, according to Instagram, at least, the blessed life is, is a life of, of abundance and power, status, popularity, success. And so if we had to kind of take that and, and distill what we see on social media and, and, and write our own modern set of beatitudes, we, we might say something like this. We might say, blessed are the rich and famous. Blessed are the good looking. Blessed are the movers and the shakers. Blessed are the healthy and fit. Blessed are the ones who make it to the top. Blessed are the ones who have great friends, the ones who have beautiful spouses, the ones who have great families, the ones who have wonderful trips, go on great experiences. That's who's blessed. That's who's happy. That's who's fortunate at least according to our culture. What would Jesus say, though? How, how would Jesus respond to that? Well, let's look at it. Matthew 5, picking up in verse 3. Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled 
Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. It's a pretty different list, isn't it? I mean, if we're honest, those things don't, they don't seem like blessings at all, do they? See, it's interesting. Lori Santos's class, it, it, it breaks records at Yale. Her quote, it makes the New York Times, but, but she was essentially just saying the exact same thing that Jesus had already said thousands of years ago. He had said the same thing in his own words because Jesus knows that our intuitions about what will make us happy won't actually make us happy. And so he flips happiness, he flips blessing, he flips good fortune, what it means to have the good life, what it means to flourish. He, he flips that all upside down, culturally speaking, so that you and I could see what it really means to be blessed right side up. So that we could see blessing and happiness and good fortune the way that he sees it, but not just see it, we could have it, we could experience it, we could live it. That's what the Beatitudes do. They give us the right side up reality of where happiness and blessing and, and the good life actually come from. See, we can't trust our intuitions. We need something else. We, we, we need Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the rest of the semester, for the most part, we're going to look carefully at Jesus' words. We're going to think about those words. We're going to wrestle with them. We're going to be challenged by them. And I think, if we're honest, we're going to see what it really means to be blessed, at least according to Jesus. Now, since we're jumping into Matthew's gospel five chapters in, I thought that it would be good to give a little context for what's happening because I think if we don't understand the context, we, we miss some of the richness of, of the Beatitudes. And so right before this section of, of, of Scripture in Matthew 5 and Matthew 4, Jesus, we're told, is, is taken out into the wilderness. He's taken out, that's, that's another way of saying the desert. Why? To be tempted by Satan. And we're not going to look at that, we're not going to talk about it, maybe a sermon for a different day, what that's all about. But, but after all that happens, after Jesus has spent this time out in the wilderness, out in the desert, being tempted by Satan, we read this in chapter 4, verse 17, from that time on, from the time after Jesus has been tempted by Satan in the wilderness, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, and he said this, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A few verses later, we see this, that, that Matthew tells us that then Jesus started going throughout all Galilee and, and teaching in the, the Jewish synagogues, pro proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing disease and sickness among the people. And so this is what's happening leading up to, to our verses. Jesus' public ministry has just kicked off. He's, he's traveling around. He's gathering his disciples. He's preaching and he's teaching about the good news of the kingdom. What's the good news? That the king is finally here. The good news of the good king who has finally come. And as he's doing all of this, word starts spreading. His popularity starts increasing, at least for now. Crowds are intrigued. They're beginning to listen. And then we come to chapter 5, verse 1, and we see this. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. 
I had a chance a few years ago to go to Israel, to the, the, the traditional place that uh, it's said that Jesus would have been on uh, the mountain. So this is uh, in northern Israel. It's in Galilee. It's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's this beautiful place. This is, uh, at least historically, uh, it's Mount Beatitudes. This is historically where Jesus has thought to have been with these disciples. I'm saying all this because I want us to see that, that when we get to the Beatitudes, when we get to this, this set of verses in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus isn't just arbitrarily teaching them about the good life. He's not just giving them a set of pithy virtues that they somehow, his disciples somehow need to strive to attain. No, what Jesus is doing, he's sitting with friends, he's sitting with his followers, his disciples on a mountainside, and he's teaching them about himself. He's teaching them about his kingdom. He's teaching them about what it looks like to follow him, to be a citizen in his kingdom. See, the disciple, or uh, the, the Beatitudes, they teach those, they, they taught those disciples, and, and by virtue, they teach us how to have true blessing. How to have lasting, not temporary, good fortune, happiness. They show us how to have the good life because they ultimately reflect the good king himself. And so what does the good king have to say first? What does the good life look like according to the good king Jesus? Matthew 5 verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, I'll be real honest with you for a sec. I used to have no idea what that meant. I, I had no idea. What is it? Poor in spirit, what does that mean? I used to think that, that maybe it had something to do with personality. So like maybe Jesus was saying that, that you know, if, if, if you've got a modest personality or, or, or maybe people who tend to be kind of shy or, or, or anxious or maybe a little timid and afraid that that maybe Jesus was somehow, albeit kind of ironically, saying that that's the kind of personality type that would be blessed. Our, our culture might see it, not see it that way. Our world might not see it that way. You might not even see it that way. But, but if that's kind of your personality, well, then you're going to be blessed. That's where happiness would be found. Then I was like, wow, I don't, I don't know if it's that. Maybe, maybe it actually has something to do with, with finances because, we, you know, we hear poor and, and, and we think, you know, physical poverty, at least I do. And so, so maybe what Jesus is saying is that, that if we somehow lack stuff, if we lack material possessions, if we lack money and wealth, that, that you know, in kind of a counterintuitive way, the world's not going to say it this way. You're not going to believe it. But in a counterintuitive way, when you lack, you're kind of blessed. It's kind of good to be without, so to speak. Now, of course, we can, we can think of all sorts of examples, right, of, of, of people who lavish wealth, lots of money, lots of possessions, and, and they have everything that they ever thought they'd want and more, and they're utterly miserable, we can quickly find, find examples of that. And, and conversely, we can think of people who, who relatively speaking, have, have absolutely nothing. If you've uh, been down to Jamaica with us uh, over the years, you know, you might be thinking of people down in Harmons or, or maybe at the infirmary. You know, see these people, and, 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 and compared to us at least, they, they have nothing. And yet they're happy, and they're content, and there's something about their life that, man, you kind of just wish you had, but you don't. Of course, that's true, but, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. 
No, when Jesus is, is talking, what Jesus is talking about, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's, he's talking about poverty, but he's talking about a different kind of poverty. He's talking about a, an inner poverty, a, a spiritual bankruptcy, so to speak. And so the person who is poor in spirit is the, the person who recognizes, acknowledges their weakness before God. They, they realize their neediness. They admit it instead of hiding it. They admit it instead of sweeping it under the rug. They admit it instead of trying to cover it up. And, and they look to Jesus for help. And so remember, don't forget the context. Jesus is sitting up on a mountainside with his closest disciples, his, his closest followers, and he's teaching them about what it looks like to follow him. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you, my disciples, when you see your need, when you admit your need, when you look to me for help. And of course, he's saying that to us too. But of course, that's... It's easier said than done, right? I mean, if we're really honest, it's easier said than done. Because if you're like me at all, it's really, really hard to admit our weaknesses. It's really, really difficult to come across needy. We don't like needy people, let alone being needy ourselves. We don't like asking people for help, do we? Why? Well, I think in part because we're told all day, every day, that all we need is ourselves. Believe in yourself. Be yourself. Express yourself. So we... We carry around this sense that, that what we really need is to be self-sufficient. What you really need is to present like you're self-reliant. So, so your self-expression, it, it's really just an extension of your self-confidence. We go about our days, we live our lives, we're, we're doing lots of things, really good things, but we front like it's all good because we're all good, because we're doing good. But here's the thing, sometimes it's not our bad things that keep us from following Jesus, it's our good things. Sometimes it's not the bad things that we do that keep us from following Jesus, it's the good things. What? Let me prove it to you. Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Jesus is about to tell a story, two different guys, two different prayers. This is what he says. This is Luke 18, picking up in verse 9. He said, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, this story. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. Not me. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. And so if you don't know, a religious, a Pharisee is just a religious leader, right? A religious leader in Jesus' day. And we know Pharisees were people who prayed regularly. They were religiously pious. This guy fasts. He, he tithes not just a tenth of his money. It says he gives a tenth of Everything that he has. He's pretty happy to tell us that he doesn't steal, doesn't commit evil, he's not an adulterer. So, so from the outside, this guy looks really good, doesn't he? But notice that when Jesus is telling the story, Jesus said, this guy's off standing by himself. He's off standing by himself. He's, he's self-confident in his own righteousness. 
He's confident of his own goodness, so much so that, that he stands away from others. He, he isolates himself. He pulls back from other people, and he prays, thank God I'm not like that. Thank God I'm better than everybody else. Well, what about the other guy? That's what it says, verse 13. But the tax collector, Jesus said, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, see, culturally speaking, you might not know this, but tax collectors were bad, hated by many for their collaboration with Rome. They were, tax collectors were often greedy and, and disingenuous, dishonest, far from God, but here this man is, Jesus says, and he too is standing at a distance, but he's standing at a distance for a very different reason, right? He's, he's filled with so much shame, filled with so much guilt. He, he understands his condition. He sees his great need. He knows the weight of his sin, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, these are two different men with two very different prayers, Two very different approaches to God. And of course, Jesus tells this story to the people of his day, and he's telling it to us to force us to wrestle with the question, who are you more like? Are you more like the tax collector? The guy who sees his great need, admits his great need, turns to Jesus, have mercy on me? Are you like the Pharisee? Self-sufficient, self-confident, self-righteous, confident of your own goodness. I know we, we all know the right answer, or at least we know who, who we should be more like. But my guess is that all of us in here are a little more like that Pharisee than we like to admit. I'm not saying that because I know your life. I'm saying that because I know my own, and it's for sure true of my own life. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who see their need, those who admit it, those who come to him. But if I'm honest, too often I rely on myself. Too often I, I do all these things, I, I, I good things, I work really hard, and then I, I step back from all the things that I do, and I say, look at all this, God, now you owe me. See, I treat God as if God owes me something because of who I am and what I do. You ever do that? Treat God like he owes you something? Think you deserve something from God because of the things that you're doing? See, when we, when we treat God like that, when we treat God as if, as if, you know, he owes something to us, what happens when we don't get it? What happens, happens when that blessing doesn't come into our life? What happens when life doesn't go the way that we want, the way that, that we thought that it was gonna go? What happens when it seems like God isn't answering our prayers? We get angry, don't we? Frustrated, impatient. We start asking questions, why? Why, God? Why is my life like this? Why is it going like this? Why isn't it going that way? I'm doing all this. Why aren't you doing what I want? Or maybe your inner Pharisee your goodness, maybe it makes you think that you're better than other people. 
You stand kind of back. You stand apart, away from. You think you deserve more. Why? Because you've got your act together and they don't. You've got your life figured out and they don't. You've got your life cleaned up and that person doesn't. Who's that person in your life? Maybe differently, we kind of look at other people's sin and it bothers us, doesn't it? We look at other people's sin, we're like, how could you do that? We forget about our own sin. Other people's sin, it bothers us more than our own. You ever do that? I do. See, sometimes it's not the bad things that keep us from following Jesus. It's the good things. It's the good things. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. But here's the thing. If we don't realize we're sick, we're not going to go to the doctor, are we? If you don't think you're sick, you won't go get help. You won't. You know how that story ends, the, the, the two guys, the story Jesus was telling? Here's how it ends. Luke, Luke 18, verse 14. Jesus says this, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, he went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a heavy statement, if we're honest. And it's, it forces every single person in this room to ask a question. Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to admit that we're sick? Are we willing to take a good look at ourselves and realize that we have needs? Are you willing to turn to Jesus? Are you going to keep doing your own thing? You're all good. It's all good. I'm just me doing me. Jesus over there. Music team, go ahead and come back. Some of you are wondering right now. You're wondering, Kyle, I'm, I, I hear all that you're saying. But here's my question. Is Jesus really worth it? I hear everything that you're saying. I, I, I get it. I don't know if I believe it, but here's the question. Is Jesus really worth it? I mean, all the, is Jesus really worth it? And I know you're asking that question because I was asking that question when I was your age, and I know that there are a lot of you in here who've asked that question, and I know that you would answer yes. And of course I would too. Yes, Jesus is absolutely worth it. Why? 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, that's true for every single one of us here tonight. The infinitely rich one became sacrificially poor to rescue you from your bankruptcy of sin so that you might become rich in him. You see, this generosity, it's free to you, it's free to me, but it cost him everything. It cost Jesus his life, and that's the only thing. It's the only thing that can save you, not anything you've done. No, it's what's been done for you. And so Jesus is saying to you tonight, he's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Blessed are you when you see your condition, when you recognize your sin, when you admit your need, when you turn to Jesus. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. See, when you see your need and when you admit it and when you go to Jesus, Jesus says you're going to be rich. Richer than you could ever imagine in him. So don't let your goodness keep you from following Jesus. Humble yourselves. Lay your weaknesses, lay your failures, lay your sins at the foot of the cross because that's where the foot of Jesus' cross, that's where everything that you're looking for is found. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.